can be different in so many ways, uh, from from the dramatically different to the subtly different. One of the more subtle differences uh, is insurance. You need to find an expert who can help you with those particular needs that come up for probate business. In particular, uh, insurance agents who work in that space can also teach us how to be more effective in our business development. I'm really excited to bring in someone I've known for a long time. When I say a long time, you look at both of us. I have a lot of gray hair. He has some gray hair. So I've, I've known him before I had gray hair. Uh, we've done business over the years, and uh, we recently did some business. I said, Carl, I'd love to have you on my call. Carl Sussman from the Sussman Insurance Agency in West Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we we both had more hair and different colored hair. I, I think that, that's that's the way to that's the way we track time at this stage in life, right? It's just by hair. Yeah, it's pretty much that's a pretty good indicator. I mean, I think grandkids or accomplishments, but I think at the end of the day, you count the gray how many hairs there are compared to what you started with, and how many of them are gray. And exactly, my my ratio is I'm old. So, so you've been at this for a while, and you've been real successful in on the west side of Los Angeles is where you're focused. And how did you end up getting insurance? You grew up as a little kid and say, you know, someday I want to be an insurance agent. Or how did you end up in insurance? You know, what's funny is that that's you know, no one goes into this business intentionally. I've decided I've I've learned that over thirty years in the business. But I'll tell you, uh, I I think it was in my genetics because I had my father in 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 management with an insurance company. My mother worked for back then it was twentieth century insurance. I had a cousin that worked in technology for a direct writer. My sister was in claims. Her husband was a fraud uh, wow. investigator. Uh, the other side of the family, more claims adjusters, another direct writing agent. I mean, it was Thanksgiving was pretty boring. I know we all had one topic of conversation. But uh, so, yeah, I graduated uh, from college. And of course, what was I going to do with that psychology degree? How about insurance? So I, uh, you know, basically uh, finished uh, college, went right into it. So that was quite a while ago. And so describe kind of well, globally. Well, fine. Thanks for that. But okay. Well, me too. I think I probably started <laughs> a little before you did in, in real estate. But um, how would you describe globally the business has changed since you started? What are the most dramatic changes? It's 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 night and day. Um, you know, back back when we first uh, back when I was doing this initially, you know, certain applications were done on paper. Uh, literally, some with carbon paper that we had to you know put in between the you know uh, the application. Um, and, and now we're, we're looking at a, at a situation where not only do we have access to literally potentially hundreds of companies in a matter of seconds, we can get underwriting decisions, uh, which is not always good because now we're, we're working in more of an algorithmic system versus actually underwriting, right? Where a human being looks and figures out, you know, what this actually looks like. It's a lot more of, you know, following the path and, and seeing where it comes out at the other end. But I've seen in uh, California specifically, we're, we, we write nationwide, but since home is in California, uh, the market has just changed tremendously. Uh, you know, it, it used to be where every company wanted to grow, 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 grow. And, uh, and, and in the last, I would say, five years primarily uh, because of uh, a number of factors, uh, we can talk about if you want, uh, carriers are, are literally uh, afraid to write business. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're paying out more than they're getting in premiums, uh, and they're not quite sure how to deal with the, with the environment. And, and as salespeople that we are, we're not quite sure how to deal with insurance companies and consumers because, you know, we're here to try and find coverage that is appropriate. And where there used to be hundreds of options, now there literally could be three or four, you know, coverage that's appropriate. 
Now, I, I, I think some people may tune in and say insurance, oh, who cares about that? But again, I think one of the things is you have a particular expertise with uh, probate, you know, vacant home and, and investment type properties and dealing with the agents who generate that business. And that's the purpose of my, the main purpose, besides the fact I like talking to you, of bringing on the call today to learn about, as well as your entrepreneurial excellence. So let's first talk about um, insuring properties where somebody's passed and has been vacant for three to six months. What are you, you know, one of the things that I was trained in, and those of the coaching program I'm involved with is, is trained in, is to ask the personal rep, have you evaluated the insurance of the property? Are you sure just because you're paying a premium may not mean you're covered in case it burns down or there's some sort of liability, an accident or something on the property? Talk about the specific kind of issues that are facing people who inherit a property or maybe haven't yet inherited it or in the process of getting it. What are the kind of issues they should be facing? I think maybe if we start with, you know, pre, I hate to say death, you know, uh, or, you know, imminent, imminent demise of a family member, right? Um, what we find sometimes is there's not insurance on the property already, right? Someone is older, um, issues have come, they've missed bills, they've thought they were, they're not thinking about it anymore, things happen. So the first thing is that uh, you want to be paying attention to if, if the minute you get involved is find out if there is coverage in place, because a lot of times there's not. And again, we're talking about seniors, and so it's not completely improbable that they may have missed something or they've gotten confused or, or who knows what. Or they were in a, a rehab center for four months and the mail wasn't being oh. attended to and they didn't have a chance to even, they might've sure. been conscious for four months. Sure, C certainly uh, you know, a reasonable possibility. Yeah. And then what happens is when, 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 when the transition occurs, that's a politically correct way of putting it, and, and uh, it goes to probate, um, insurance policies are, are contracts between an insurance company and an individual or a corporation, but for, for our purposes and an individual. When that individual is gone, that contract has provisions for what changes immediately. And one of the things that will happen, it's sort of a, on a timetable, and I'm speaking generically because every insurance policy is a little bit different, but for the most part, the insurance coverage is going to start falling off after a period of time. And it could be as soon as 30 days after the home is vacant and unoccupied, you might lose vandalism coverage, which might be one of the primary things you wanna have at that point, right? You wanna have protection for the home. Fire coverage could also fall off that quickly because again, now the insurance carrier is saying, well, the risk that we had was a person living in the home. That's one particular type of risk. Now it's empty, right? There's newspapers, you know, piling up on the driveway. Now I'm really aging myself. Newspapers <laughs> piling up on the driveway uh, and, and things like that. It's getting, maybe it's boarded up. The gardener's not coming. It's a target. Clearly that's going to be more of a risk to the insurance company. So there are provisions within the policy that say when certain triggers happen, like there's a death and there's nobody living there and X number of days go by, coverage starts to fall off. So I think you can safely say that uh, within a period of 90 days, and that's being very generous, uh, you, you could literally have a home where there's a policy active, but there's not going to be coverage in the event of basically any type of a loss. Now, so let's talk about that. Uh, I discover, you know, my aged uncle, you know, uh, has a property and maybe he didn't have insurance or he still does have insurance, but I'm, but the insurance you have may or may not be appropriate. So you might be paying a policy, but that policy presumes somebody's living there every day, right? right. And so I, I might say, well, I'm paying you every month. You're taking the payment. Well, they're going to take the payment. They're not going to pay you unless 
they verify there's a there's a claim. Yeah. So how what does one do when they have that policy at that point to ensure that the insurance that is being paid for is the appropriate insurance for what's now a vacant property? Well, you know, this I I also do insurance expert witness work in, in complex litigation cases, and I come across this because people will say, How can you not pay me? I've been paying premium. But Bill, you nailed it right on the head. You know, you're paying premium for a policy that no longer fits the categories that it that it was designed for, right? Right. So the the first thing you need to do is you need to you need to realize that just because you're paying premium to an insurance company, that in no way, shape, or form means that you are going to have coverage. Pote you know, but what type of coverage? Water damage, liability, fire. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could potentially be there or be required, or, or you would want to have you know in effect. So. The very first thing you want to do is have that realization that, okay, no matter what, there's a different exposure on that house than there was yesterday, right? When when so-and-so was living there. And you need to get a policy that's specifically designed, priced, yes, and, and rated to be able to cover those exposures that you need covered, given the you know, the, the circumstances of what that risk is at that time. To use kind of a knockoff of a Jerry Seinfeld episode on car rentals. And not insurance agents, which are you are an agency, insurance companies, the carriers, are good at taking the premium. They're not as good at paying out the money. It's time to pay out. They'll always take your money. Take, take, take. You mail them a check, they'll deposit it. They'll very rarely send it back. And then they'll one day go, oh, wow, it was vacant. Well, here's your premium for two months back. We're not paying for the burned down house, right? That's kind of what well, happens what happens is, and, and again, I, I'm a consumer, you know, before an agent, right? I mean, I, I as you can imagine, uh, they have no way of knowing, right? Correct. If you and I sign an agreement, and and I say you give me, you know, thousand dollars a year as long as you live in the house, I'll insure it, and then you move out, I, I have no way of knowing that, right? So who's who's broken the terms of our agreement, really, right? right. It's not it's not me. So sure, right. I'm going to keep taking the, the the premium because I have no way to think, I have no reason to believe that our right. agreement has changed. Typically, point. of course, if there's a loss, then all of a sudden the carrier is brought to, you know, they, they realize, that, okay, well, you've been paying me this premium, but it's not for the policy that I sold you, right? It's not for the risk that was there when we agreed on our terms. So they will typically refund you for that period of time since, you know, the policy basically would no longer have provided coverage. And then again, it's not, it's not a, he said, she said, it's just an unfortunate situation because it right. makes sense, right? right. I mean, right. there's a different cost. There's a different product for a house that has somebody living in it versus for some, for a you know, house that's empty, boarded up, you know, and, and nobody goes there at all, let alone later, right? If there's deferred maintenance, maybe there's pipes that start leaking, nobody's there to see it. And then eventually, you know, the folks will come in and start looking at it for purchase. Now you've got foot traffic, drastically different exposure than, you know, two people living there together. So let's talk about that. As a general rule, I'm not going to hold you to it, but yeah. if, what, would you just estimate rule of thumb? A policy with somebody living in it as a primary residence, their third day, there's one set of liabilities versus it's vacant while they're cleaning it out, preparing it for sale, showing it for sale, and then closing escrow. Is the insurance premium going to be the same or more or less as a general rule when it's vacant than when the person was living there? Funny, having done this enough years, as you were giving me the, the the different changes, there's three or four stages that actually happen there, right? There's what happens right afterward. There's one exposure when there's work being done on it. That's another type of exposure. Correct. Uh, when it's for sale and empty, that's another type of exposure. Those are potentially different products all of right. those times. If you really Correct. want to get you know down and dirty, 
Right. In general, um, if if a house is going to be moderately cleaned up, right? You're it's it's not that the kids get you know, that, that, that they're gonna say, oh, we're gonna add a story, you know, or right. oh, we're gonna do major, we're gonna replumb, we're gonna do all sorts of stuff before we decide to sell it. If right. that's not the case, they're basically just cleaning it up and they're going to put it on the market. Uh and I'm, I would say that you could be looking at a policy anywhere from potentially less expensive than what the homeowner's policy was before to maybe 20 or 30% higher. And the reason for that is there's one major thing that's going to be different and that's personal property. There's, right. there's particular, there's probably not going to be anything in the house, right? After the pre, you know, once they've passed away and, right. and the family moves things out. So you could be looking at a pretty big swing between less money and, you know, like I said, 20 or 30% more. And then again, I know you're not trying to pin me down, but I want to be realistic also. That's the, that seems to be the exception more than the rule, right? Because it doesn't normally go that smoothly. There are other issues that go on, right? They'll decide that, oh, before we list it, we do want to, you know, update, you know, we want to replace the roof because, you know, we know it's going to make it look better. We want to repaint, we want to do things. And then depending on the, the level of work that's done, you might be having to add things to the policy, such as a course of construction endorsement. Uh, you might have to add coverage if you're adding square footage. I mean, there's all sorts of things that have to that you know potentially could happen. And none of it's complicated as long as the people communicate that to some type of a you know an insurance per person that can say, okay, based on what you're doing, here's what we need to do. And then they do it. Oh, this is a, a quick break here. I just want to kind of point out to people that we have a um this is a live call on zoom if you're registered at probateweekly.com you can jump in and participate ask questions raise your hand or put in the chat box we're also streaming it live on our social media youtube facebook and linkedin and so if you're there watching as well you can ask questions somebody pointed out they're having problems logging into zoom i think that's when they're in but you can ask questions there now and i'll try to catch them live and give them to carl or circle back later if necessary later but it is it, the goal of this is to twofold one be interactive uh, if it was, if I was that good and Carl was that good, we would just record this, put it in the internet, and he and I would go home for the day. We're doing this because we want to interact with you, number one. Number two, it's an opportunity to network. And so feel free to put in the chat box, if you're live on the Zoom call, your name, your contact info. I would say two things also, what you bring to the party, what you bring to the marketplace, if you're an insurance agent, real estate agent, attorney, vendor, put it in there, and then what you're looking for. What kind of business referrals are you looking for? And let's do some business together on the chat box. Personally, I don't like the Zooms, they do the meeting room thing. I just, I don't know. I, I Somebody, if enough of you said, hey, I'd love to do meeting rooms, put in the chat box, I'm open to it, but it's just not my style. Uh, for this particular event. I'd much rather learn. We have, a, we have an expert here in the business. I'd much rather learn uh, with what he has to offer us. So, so uh, Carl, let's, let's talk a little bit about, we talk about probate. Now let's talk about trust. Trust can typically be, um, I think, on, we'll, we'll skew much higher value property, higher value assets for the family. And I know that's a, a good chunk of your business, having seen what you do. Talk about what's it like for you to work with higher-end families, higher-end attorneys, higher-end agents. From a business point of view, what have you done? I know part of it's your reputation, part of it's longevity, but you also must have some strategies that you've used to, to earn your way into that market spot. What have you done that you can share with people on the call today? Well, I'll tell you, it's it's a double-edged sword. Uh, you know, when you're working with higher-end clients and they have business managers, uh, for example, that can be you know a blessing or a curse if it's a good one 
right? If it's a good business manager and they understand that there's things that need to be done and they'll work with you and provide information and you can get things done, that's terrific. Unfortunately, you know, like every industry, some business management companies are not so good, right? And they're just like, we don't want to talk about insurance, just give us the cheapest. And it's like, right. yeah, but you know what I'm saying? It, it kind of, we kind of freeze like the cheapest of what part, you know what I'm saying? Of, do you want low liability? Do you want not to insure it all for fire? I mean, what, what does that mean? Right? So sometimes when you're working with people that have business management firms, uh, it can be very difficult because we'll just want to say, can we have like a five minute conversation with the owner just to sort of go over a few of these things? Maybe they'll say, okay, give these people what they need so that I can get properly protected. I mean, it really is, and you know this better than I do, Bill, it's penny wise and pound foolish at this point, especially with these larger homes. You know, for someone to say to me, I want something that's as inexpensive as possible till I sell this place, right? And they're going to sell it for three and a half million dollars, five million dollars. And, and they're, and they're going to be, they want to save a thousand dollars on the insurance. Really? It does, where, where does that make sense? It, it just, it doesn't, right? So I, I think the, uh, uh, my biggest challenge is when we're dealing with some of the higher end clients is that I don't get the chance to interact with the clients to be able to have that five minute conversation where I'm saying, look, I'm not getting rich on this. I just want to be sure you know what you need and I want to be able to offer it to you. If you decide you don't want it and nobody ever does because we're not talking about crazy dollar amounts, right? Um, I just want to make sure that I have the opportunity to do the right thing for you. Um, but for the most part, business managers get it. It's not their first rodeo, right? They've been through this before uh, with other clients and they'll call us and, the, and they will literally tell us, hi, this is so-and-so from this you know, blah, blah, blah firm. House has been vacant since the death which occurred on. I mean, they know what to tell us because they know what matters, right? And we'll say, okay, that's bad. That's a long time. We need to move quickly to be sure that there's fire coverage. Let's handle that first, right? right. Or you know what, we're showing the property already and there's no liability insurance, you know, and there's, there's, it's a mess. Somebody trips and falls, you know, the estate's on the line for this, uh, not to mention it's going to lock up any sale, right? If somebody's, you know, suing the estate. So let's get that handled right away. So I think for the most part, it's, it's an advantage when you're dealing with people that, um, that are, that are using a business management firm because most of them get it right. They've been through the process before. Uh, to your other point, how did, how did we get there? Um, you know, uh, it, it kind of reminds me when I do the expert witness work, I I've done work. I've been retained on probably 200 cases and I work on both plaintiff and defendant side. And a lot of times attorneys, when they're interviewing me before they retain, they say, well, how can you do that? You know, you can't work on both sides of the fence. You know, and I say, you actually can, as long as you just stick to the truth, you know, and the facts of each case doesn't matter which side you're on. I'm going to say the same thing. And, and it really comes down to that same issue as well is over the years, we've just always done the right thing. And over time, you know, you do start to pick up, you know, a good reputation because, you know, we, we're not the type that will sell the, the cheapest product because we want to be sure we sell it before they shop elsewhere. We take the time to be sure that we tell them what the risks are, what the coverages are that are available. And as importantly, if not more, what you can't get coverage for, right? Or what you don't have coverage for and to beware of. So I think just over time, we've been able to, you know, sort of build um, a good reputation because, you know, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, wham, bam, thank you, man. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're there to try and uh, provide them with uh, what, you know, what I tell people sometimes is, you know, let me tell you what I would tell you if you were my sister, 
you know, if I'm talking to a, you know, to a woman, I was like, this is what I would tell my sister to do because they're not always sure, right? right. Should right. I get this much or that much? Do I need to get that coverage or not? And they look to me for my advice. And, you know, everyone has different risk tolerance, right? Everyone has their own level of how much they're willing to gamble. Some people say, you know what? I don't care if the place burns to the ground. It's all land value. Okay. You know, I mean, that's, that's legit too. Right. But you have to have those conversations to be able to to tease out what it is that's important to each client as you're moving forward. The first time I came into insurance a long time ago, I had a closing where they had to tent the house for pests. And we got a phone call. Uh, they did it a couple of days before the closing. And I got a phone call from the listing agent that it was divorce. And the ex-husband who had been, I guess, kicked out of the house or whatever the story was, had in a drunken stupor broken in the house. And, and it, you know, they had those tents with those uh, pla hard plastic, heavy plastic canvas kind of stuff. And he 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 tore through it, or knife through it or whatever, got through it somehow. Cause, and it's hard to do. They have, you know, chain links and all that, but he got, got in there and apparently went into the kitchen, made himself a sandwich, poured himself a beer. And then of course the toxic fumes. And in those days, I think it was all toxic. Now there's another product that's not, but in those days it was toxic. He literally died in the property. Well, that's a big mess. You know, will the buyer still want to buy the property? That's one question. Yeah. Uh, getting him out of there, that's another issue. But of course, one of the issues is liability. Did the seller, you know, uh, they have any liability for him getting in there? Does the termite company, uh, press company have a license? Do they have insurance and liability? I remember right away, all of a sudden I said, well, hold on now, every deal I have is theoretically <laughs> a problem, right? And I think that real estate agents miss that instead of maybe not having a problem come up, you miss the opportunity to create some expertise and create a good relationship because most people pick insurance over time. The insurance agent comes, goes, changes, it was a, whatever, you know, not your clients, but the ones who haven't made it, the 80% who haven't made it over the last five years. And, and the policy is enforced, it's been sold to the carrier. Uh, and as a real estate agent, I miss the chance to say, let me have an expert take a look at it for you uh, and get some expertise because it doesn't cost anything to look at it and to get that. So let's talk about that a little bit. How, what's kind of the threshold where you want to hear about or you want to see it? Uh, I'm listing a new property. It's vacant. They're going to sell it in six months or a year, but it's also an estate that may have other people involved. How, do you look for that business? Is that business you want to jump into? And how do you approach those kind of opportunities? You know, I when when somebody says a house is vacant, you know, that's a red light, you know, immediately goes off in my head because that that that's a totally different product, totally different mindset and the and the reasons behind it. Right. The biggest problem is that most people forget it, it's like and I'm sure you no one in the real estate market uh, industry will be able to relate. They'll tell the bank they're living there when they're not. Right. And, and can you imagine and the problem is they'll come to me and they'll tell me the same thing. So I write them a policy as if it's rented, but guess what? They're living there. So I, I, I tell people sometimes when I get, you get your spidey senses going, right? You kind of have a sense that maybe this isn't really what's, what they're telling you isn't really what's going on. I'll tell them, look, pretend I'm your priest. I, I can't tell anybody what you tell me, but tell me the truth because I need to be sure that you have the right coverage, right? Bank's not going to know the difference. To them, fire is fire. They, they, they don't care. So when somebody at least is open enough to tell me straight out, hey, it's vacant, that already gives me a level of comfort because I can say, okay, 
Now let's go through our, you know, our, our mental checklist to find out why it's vacant. What are the plans for it? How long? How long has it been vacant? When was it insured last? Things like that. The problem is what we see a lot more often than that is someone that says, oh, it's my parents' house um, and it's listed for sale. And it turns out that it's been vacant for six months. It's been uninsured for six months and it's boarded up. Well, you can imagine, right? The insurance company and, and I and the client, we all put together a policy for what they said, which is that, oh, it's you know, a nice house. We're just listing it. And then the inspector goes out to look at it and I get an, you know, an email with pictures and it's like, oh, why didn't they just tell me? Because it would have been easy to write the correct policy, but now we have to backpedal, right? Not to mention the fact that they're, uh, they've not been covered properly all this time. Had there been a loss, wouldn't have made anybody happy, right? right. Right. So um, I, I think that the, the the main takeaway is that people should sometimes they're their own worst enemy, right? Because they're trying to they're trying to I don't want to say game the system because that's that's a little too aggressive. They think they're doing what they should do in that circumstance versus relying on the expertise of their real estate agent, you know, right. or an insurance agent, or right. even the pest control folks, right? right. To to right. decide what it is and explain to them what really needs to be done. So I think it's really just a matter of of being of having your spidey senses up and being sure that you're getting accurate information from people. Now you've worked with a lot of real estate agents in Los Angeles and around the country, um, and, and like every business, you know, some are good and some are bad. What is the common denominators you see of the ones who are the best when you see people who are building a business? And obviously, there's people who've been around for forty years and they've built a great business. You're hard to duplicate 40 years of reputation when you're starting out as a year or two. But what are the activities, the best practices that you see of agents who are building business? You say, wow, if I was starting out, I'd make sure I did that. I would just say, you know, straight out humility and honesty. Mm. You know, it, it really is, uh, especially these days, because people are so, you know, it, everything is less face to face as we're pseudo looking at each other right uh it's so easy to just shoot off an email that says xyz versus you know back in the day uh even before my day really all of the transactions were done in person it right. was less likely to occur that someone would sit across from you take the you know a pen you hand them and sign something that was wrong and they knew it was wrong it's a heck of a lot easier now for them to just send an email say this is a situation we send them an e-doc, they docu-sign it, and off it goes. It's a lot easier because you feel like you have some type of deniability to it. At least that's right. what I've heard people say on the stand. Right. You know, it just, it didn't, they didn't really pay attention. They just clicked a few places. They didn't realize it was a contract, right. that sort of thing. So I, I think that people to just be, um, to just take a little bit more of the, the, the personal touch, you know, the connection that, you know what, I want to talk to you about this. I don't want you to just, you know, answer my questions. I want to know what it is that the pro what's actually going on now. That's usually how I start out when someone tells me that there's a vacant property. I say, okay, so tell me what happened and what's the goal. And I just stop. Well, and you're very high touch. And I think that's the thing that the next generation has lost. And I think COVID really grinded to a halt. And, and you got away with it for a year or two, but now, I think those are lazy habits that have sunk in, which is 
meeting in person and at least even video and talking. I, I mean, I know people who like try to market me all via text and email. And, and it's like, you know, I, I appreciate being efficient and being busy. They're missing out on the opportunity by not doing with people, even on a phone call. And I know when I've called you, whenever I talk to you, you always feel like you have all the time in the world to solve that problem. I don't feel rushed. Uh, you have time. It doesn't mean you pick up the phone when I call the first time, but it means I get you. There's a personal relationship that you're building with me, not just uh, uh, technically. And that goes to staff as well. You have staff people I know also spend time with people. So let's let's talk a little bit about specifically attorneys. I know you do. Um, you know, you're real consistent on business development, even at the stage you are now and with the success you have, you still have a certain amount of time that you do business development on a weekly basis. Can you share a little bit of what you do and what you're thinking behind your strategy is on that? Sure. Um, as, as people that are, um, you know, in California know, it's a tough market here, right? It's a really tough market with, with the storms and the fires and, 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 and of course there's earthquake. We, we we forget that was a me you know that 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 shut down the insurance market for a few years you know back in the day um one of the things that we started to do was we said you know what just like an insurance company one of the ways that they survive and they grow and they thrive and they protect their clients is by diversifying right they don't want to insure every house in one area right they want to insure a few houses everywhere so if a major fire comes through they can survive and have the money to pay for it right so what we've started to do, because the market has gotten so tight in California, and it looks like as things will start to slowly come back over the next few years, it occurred to me that even though we are licensed in almost every state, we've never really focused our marketing efforts on people outside of California. So we've actually started to proactively market in other states directly to real estate agents. Uh, and, and that being because we want to be diversified as well, right? We want to be in a position where we'll, we know that if the California market gets tight, if an insurance company that we work with, uh, you know, decides they're going to stop writing business, that we have ways to try and offset that so we can continue to grow. You know this as well, that, you know, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. I mean, there's, that's, that's what, that's an old adage, but it's true. And, uh, you know, because we, 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 we like the idea, we like what we do. I mean, that, that really is something else that I would say is you really got to like what you do uh, to, to do it well. And mm -hmm. I think everyone that we have that works uh, for, the, for the team uh, likes what they do. And um, we've got staff all over the country now. And mm -hmm. that's been, and, and it was funny because we had two people that pre-COVID left um, California to take care of older parents. We didn't want to lose them. I mean, there's nothing more important. There's nothing harder in business than staffing, right? Than having good people. So this was 15 years ago. I set up remote controls so she could still work. I mean, we, we so we ended up having this whole infrastructure already set up for remote work 15 years ago. So when the pandemic hit, it was very easy for us to transition. People said, they'll go home. I said, no problem. We've got everything set up for it. We bought brand nice. new equipment, let them take it home. And for the most part, uh, over the last few years, some people are still in California. We've got people in South Carolina, Texas, Arizona, Florida, uh, Colorado. Everyone's just kind of gone wherever they want to go. And right. it's it's no different because we're all still a team and everyone, the people like what they do. I, I, I can't right. stress that enough. And you again, you know, when you work with someone, you can tell if they're just going through the motions or if they really like it. 
you know, and and I think everyone that we work with, all of everyone on our team really likes what they do. You know, essentially, you talk about expanding your business geographically. I think to real estate agents, you either need to to add product or you need to add geography to your business to capture what's just outside your current business, right? You have you have. I'm sure in your case, you had clients. I'm sure who had were great clients in West LA, and all of a sudden they buy a property in Nevada or they buy a second home in Florida, and they want to be insured. And for years, you used to say, "I'm only licensed in California." And one day, you said, "Man, that's like the third or fourth this week. Let's get a license." And I think real estate agents have to look at, well, what are you doing? I added commercial and, and non-residential business to my business the last couple of years, and I've built my business out nationally. I closed a deal in uh, uh, Maryland uh, last month and Michigan in January. So, you know, it, it, I, I didn't necessarily want to do all that, but to be competitive and, and to maintain relationships, you have to look at how you do that. Is that what drove you was clients' opportunities were outside your state that you I'm sure for years you must have passed on a bunch of them. You're funny because not for a lot of them. It didn't take more than one or two before I I said because in, in, in I don't know how it is for real estate licenses, but once you're licensed in California at least, um, every state has reciprocal um, licensing, so oh, you don't no. have to retest. You just have to guess what? Pay some money. Pay some money. Jump through a few paperwork hoops, PDF hoops, and and boom, your license is there. The, and so I was very fast. We we were we licensed ourselves in Oregon and Washington almost immediately because I wanted to have the West Coast. I thought that was let's cover that. Then you're right. Started moving east a little bit. People were buying, you know, um, strip shop malls right in Nevada and Arizona, and they were starting to buy investment properties. No problem. But again, there's a trap with that too because every state has different laws has different underwriting, has different insurance products. So we didn't just get the license and stumble through it. We, you know, and again, to some people chagrin because it takes time and, and money. We took the time to go and get trained in each of those states, right? right? So we weren't just sort of stumbling along thinking, oh, home's a home, right? I mean, I'm writing homes in Kansas that um, the, the underwriters are laughing at me because I'm saying, you really want me to insure that for 250 a foot? Really, it's it's making my skin crawl. I mean, I can't insure a you know a, a thousand square foot you know house you know in West LA for anything under four hundred bucks a foot practically. Are you sure? You know, and they're laughing. They said this is Kansas. It's different, you know. And so part of it is yes, you get those licenses, but you also want to gain the expertise in those places that you're going because without it, you're you know you, you go from being really good at what you do to being really bad, really bad at it. And that's why we do this call weekly for those of you. I'm not a paid coach. Uh, I do a little bit of work for a coaching company, but I'm, that's not really my business. I don't sell data. I'm not selling a certification program. I'm a practitioner. I'm interviewing Carl, just so you, all you watching, because I want to learn more from him. Uh, I can't justify him talking to me for an hour and training me, but I can if I put it on this phone call and have you know 50 of you on the Zoom and a couple hundred on the YouTube. Because we need to learn. We need to both learn how he's successful in his business and learn the technical parts of insurance. And so he said it, that it's about being an expert is always learning and growing and being better, not, not just how you can get paid, but how you can earn money by creating value for your customers. Well, you never know it all. You know, anyone who thinks they know everything is in deep trouble because there's always changes, right? There's always something new. This concept of uh, cyber insurance is something 
well, what the heck was that if you would ask me 10 years ago right, right. ransom insurance all these there's always something new that's coming out and you know you need to stay on top of this stuff i'm sure that especially in california how many new forms get added to the average real estate transaction you know uh, every couple every year every few years my guess is there are some well and there's forms we never use that we have to use uh, the thing that surprises me is how few of the agents even read the forms that we have already it is amazing to me how many times i'll talk to an agent and i'm just going to quote off of the residential purchase agreement form how something gets handled and they well no no we this is how we do it no no this is what we agreed to it's in writing there's no that's not how you do it or i do it there's what we agreed to do and it's in writing let me just copy and paste the form to you i actually uh, had a disagreement with one of the largest uh brokerages in our area with the broker and i was just talked he had no, he, he had just had no idea how the form read you might say well we want to amend it and do things differently i can respect that but um, okay. Hey, for those of you that call today, just a couple quick housekeeping things here. Let's take a quick break. Um, Carl Sussman, Sussman Insurance Agency, West Los Angeles, licensed throughout the United States, is our guest today talking about the unique insurance in the probate and trust space, but also building business. And we'll talk a little bit about attorneys uh, specifically. Um, I'm Bill Gross. TheLAProbateExpert.com is my website, and you're welcome to go there. I have a bunch of resources if you're interested in learning more about building your probate business. Just go to the right side there, probate resources. I have, I have different data sources and different ideas that can help you with coaching and such. And uh, I have a Facebook group, uh, Probate Experts. You're welcome to join. We have 2,400 members, and it's free, and people post. Uh, I put my content in there, uh, like today's call. And other people put in their questions, but not enough. But some people do ask about different data and different uh, leads. And we've had people come in and put in questions for attorneys or uh, referrals of some sort in different market areas. So I'd love to have you participate in that. It's free, and this way we can we can do additional business. So Carl, when when I started in real estate in uh, 1986, um, it seemed like all the business, all the insurance business was two or three large branded companies. We would all recognize the brands. Uh, and they all had like a franchise agent who only did that carrier's business. And then one day it seemed like those guys started to do an additional line or two on the side. I knew there were independent insurance agents back then, but they were, I, I think, a minority, at least to me, it seemed that way. But now it seems a flip-flop where so much insurance is done by agencies who are independent, and even those with the big brands really are independent agents that happen to fly that flag. Is that a fair assessment? The business has gone away from the branding of the carrier to the individual agent being the business. Well, you're 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 100 right that you know years ago there were they were the big three, right, and and everyone knew the names, and they were employees of the insurance company. Uh, fast forward a few years and some litigation and tax law and and, and things and they were be, and they were turned into you know independent contractors right for tax purposes so but they were still contractually bound to only write insurance through that one carrier you know and and, and again in the past it wasn't that impossible a task because things weren't as complicated let's face it I mean they just weren't as complicated the risk factors were not as complicated things were able to be a little more boilerplate right more people could fit in that square and it was enough but as time goes by and risks become more complex and the and and homes become more complex cars become more complex don't even get me started right on how different it is now to fix a car from a from a little you know bumper damage than it used to be 
um, that one size fits all concepts started to fail. So one of the one of those carriers said, okay, we're gonna do what's called right of first refusal, meaning you gotta come to us first. If we don't want it or the client refuses it, then you can go somewhere else. That was sort of an in-between. The, the, what ended up happening, as you can imagine, was, uh, and I think that still goes on to some extent now, it, it didn't do very well because there was always a better option, right, than that one carrier. Right. Uh, the other two carriers kind of held tight to that, you know, one-on-one -on -one concept. You know, you you are our employee-ish, and you will, um, for people that are not watching, I keep making little air quotes, uh, you know, you're you're an employee, but you were, you're really just going to sell our product. And I sort of look at it as akin to trying to force a circle into the square peg. You know, if you come to me and all I can sell you is one widget, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to find a way to make that widget be the widget you need because that's how I make a living. What am I going to do? Right. I mean, that what am I going to do? If I can't sell that widget, I, I can't make a living. Uh, consumers get a little savvier over time, right? And again, since the, the the risk marketplace changes as well, independent agents started to grow and to thrive because somebody could come in the door and we could get the information from them and say, oh, okay, we have six or seven options for you. Now let's look at those and see which is even, you know, which is priced better or which one might have some certain characteristics that you like um, and, and really tailor it for them versus, you know, when you've got one market and, you know, you try and either force feed it in there, right? Or you starve. So right. you're right. Um, the pattern has definitely shifted, uh, again, especially in California, because the market is so challenging here, right. where independent agents have, you know, even I would even say us, you know, in the beginning, whereas we might have worked primarily with a dozen carriers, right? Routinely, we would we would have more appointments than that. But Usually about a dozen of them would see 80% of the business that we would write. Uh, that's over 100 now, right? Wow. I mean, you have to maintain a relationship with everybody because right. you just never know what risk is going to come in the door. And you right. want to be able to have the circle to put that circle, you know, peg right into. I know a lot of your business or a good percentage comes from working with attorneys. And we talked about that previously. And I know in particular, you do some networking. I think you do BNI, right? Is that what, are you the one that does? Mm -mm. No, you just, do, but you have some sort of networking group that you're part of, if I remember right. No, I'm actually, oh. I'm actually not. The, 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 um, the bulk of our relationships are actually with real estate agents. Um, the attorney, the business that I get from attorneys tend to be because I've done expert work for them. Uh, so they'll refer, you know, clients and, and things like that. There's a few consumer organizations that help consumers with claim issues. Uh, and I, I I volunteer there and, and we do Q&As. And of course, you know, you answer a question and all of a sudden everybody, they want to come to you. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, but I don't have, um, I, I don't specifically market insurance to attorneys, not for any particular reason, uh, but just it, it's not been the focal point, right? That's not really been how it's worked. We've always sort of uh, had our relationships with real estate and escrow offices. Hmm. That's sort of been the, the the circle of life, you know, as it's been. And uh, and I can tell you, there's agents that we've worked with for 30 years, right. you know, and there's escrows that we've worked with for 30 years, right. you know, and pat us all on the back for still being here, right? Oh, but, yeah. um, clearly, you know, they're they're doing something right. 
is there any particular you do to market to real estate agents as a, as I mean, I understand you know how to work with us, you know how to make help us with our business, but is there any particular ongoing or outgoing marketing activities that you do to generate business from the real estate agents for free business? Uh, in, in California, uh, we haven't done any specific outreaches in, in, in over a decade, easy. Um, but the states that we're expanding to, uh, I have people calling. Uh, we're sending newsletters. Uh, we're sending um, good old-fashioned mailers. You can't win. You know, if I send email, it's spam. If I send a postcard, I'm killing a tree. So, you know, you you, you do the best you can between the two. Well, but, you mail, uh, outside California, they don't care about killing trees as much as they do in California. So. I know, right? You got to <laughs> you got to target it, right, for for the area. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'll make a point of going to the um, the the um, not the Better Business Bureau. What is it called? Their um, you know the city's um, chamber of commerce. Chamber of commerce. Thank you. You know, and I'll say, look, you know, I want to you know make some relationships. I want to offer some information for you know real estate agents. You know, how how can I get in touch with them? Are there are there newsletters or that I can you know are there publications that I can sponsor? Are there little league teams? You know, what what is there that I can do? We actually, um, I, I also became a certified continuing education uh, instructor for um, insurance agents and for attorneys. Um, wow. and, and, and that was an interesting thing because I still have that, but it was taking too much time. And, and what's funny is, and we can all appreciate this, people don't really want to learn when they're taking their CE. They really just want to get it done. And that's just not me. You know, I mean, I would try and really engage and act and interact and and and, right. and help and learn. And and people just did not want to do that. So yeah. I've kept the certification because it wasn't easy to get. But um, I digress. But in, in general, the 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 reach outs are to real estate over over law firms, even the law firms. You know, I, I can do continuing education for for attorneys and um, they don't really they they just they like the bagels more. Uh, then, Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that, that's uh, there's just a mindset for the CE that it's really just punch the ticket and get me, uh, get me out of there as quick as possible. And and I find the odd when I when I started in the probate space, I used to go to CE classes for attorneys to learn, uh, and it was it was really interesting to me. But I could see nobody else the class even paying attention. They just either showed up, and in those days they were more you know offered live. Now it's all on Zoom, so right. they really don't show up, right? They, oh, right. Oh, you know what they do? And it's so funny is it, it, when you go to your continuing ed, people will so tune out, they will randomly pop up a question on the screen. They don't yeah. announce it. The presenter doesn't even know it's happening. Right. And you have to answer the question. And if you miss it, right. you don't get credit for the class. Right. And I'm thinking that's where that's how low that's how low the bars come. Right. That is as long as you can just quickly pop that answer that question, then, you know, people just you know, drag it off to another screen or whatever. I'm probably one of the only geeks that when it's time for my insurance continuing education, I go try and find a topic I'm interested in because I want to try and see what's the latest, you know, in that topic. I, I uh, signed up for a, a, a presentation, I thought, uh, of the probate attorney, a probate judges in Los Angeles. The, they had the whole roster, right? The head judge and, and the others, and there was, I think, nine or 10. And they all, it was called a view from the bench. And they do this, through different bar associations. And I thought, well, it's always interesting. I learned procedural things and I'm on this program. I'm watching, I'm taking notes. I, I send the notes to the attorneys I work with. 
I got a CE certificate in 1983. So I hope I didn't cause any kind of problems or, 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 or not practicing without a license or something like that. So, okay. Um, look, you've been real just your time. I, I don't see any questions in the chat box I haven't added yet. I'll, I'll just, I'll say, uh, first off, feel free to network, put your contact info in, what you do and what you're looking for. And then second, um, if you have questions, put it in now. This is a good chance to ask a guy who's built a great business here in West Los Angeles, building a business across the country. Uh, he's serving you seeing real estate agents. And so if you're an agent looking to do more business with attorneys in probate or trust administration or, or uh, estate planning, he can be a great asset to you. Um, obviously, Carl, there are people who are going to be on this call, particularly outside of California, who are going to want to talk to you about uh, maybe different ideas on, on um, uh, insurance for inherited properties, properties in process, properties being sold. Uh, is the best place to go to assessmentinsurance.com? Is it the best place to reach you? That's a good place. Um, you know, e email is, uh, I'm a victim like everyone, right? You know, you send me an email anytime, it probably will get to me anytime because it's, you know, it's stupid thing is always with me. So yeah, I mean, just Carl at assessmentinsurance.com. It's Carl with a K, Sussman with one S. Uh, and, uh, or they can go click on the service button there that works. They can text the main number that you're showing there as well. Uh, there's the contact form on the main page. You know, at, at the end of the day, it all gets to me. You know, if somebody says I'm looking for Carl, they'll get you, you know, they'll, they'll get the information over to me. Uh, and I think in particular, you know, if you, especially it looks because he's building business outside California, if you're an agent on the call outside of California, Here's something we can help you, I think, you know, um, with some strategy and some value to uh, bring to attorneys because they they really, I find, are very, when I tell them, hey, there's a problem with insurance, they're all ears, right? And there might be other issues that are a little harder to get their attention on sometimes, but when it's a liability issue, attorneys are all ears. It's a great way to create value for new relationships or build relationships is to bring that value on insurance in specific. Um, I got a question. Um, uh, how many times have you, as an insurance professional, actually called cold called somebody individuals to educate them and why they need insurance in the property? I don't know why he would cold call them because, uh, well, well, know, back back in the day, right? I mean, that right. was. Uh, uh, I, I can say that I'm fortunate enough that I never had to personally sit, you know, with a phone book, you know, and and make and make calls. Uh, I'm 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 very fortunate with that. Is is you know our our idea of of initial outreach was literally to go to the real estate office down the street with bagels. <laughs> I mean, that, real estate that, agents, that was, man, just food. Just food. We're, that, we're just that, like that, ants. You put food up there. We're going to show up. Food, cake, you name it. That that pretty much did it, right? Um, but I, but I'll tell you, it's um, it, it's it's difficult now because that I can't do that to Georgia. I can't do that to Arizona. I can't do that to you know other states. So you know I I'm, I'm welcoming any opportunity to connect with agents or attorneys in other states to do whatever I can to hopefully start building that same level of of trust that I've been able to do in California because we really really uh, you know would like to be able to to diversify as much as we can and I, I love hearing that you're closing deals all over the country it's uh, I mean there's no reason not to anymore I, you know what I did the other day for the first time it blew my mind I notarized something online. They, I, you of course know this. I didn't know this. 
you can notarize documents online now. They videotape it. You have, they, you know, they ask the miscellaneous scary questions. You know, do you know this street? Do you know that street? You know, you show them your ID. You upload all this stuff, and it's all recorded. And you can notarize documents. And I thought right. there is truly no reason why anybody can't transact any this type of financial business anywhere. There really isn't. I mean, there's no difference if you're down the street or three states away. Well, legally, I think now that's accepted nationally, but you often have to talk all the parties into it, right? Mm. The attorney might not at first be okay or feel it's okay, and but you have to walk them through, well, this is how we do it. It, it started that way with e-signing documents. You know, they're right, agent, right. she said, well, I'd much rather get a wet signature. I appreciate that, but let me walk you through the process and how we do this. And, and there's insurance that e-signature companies have, liability insurance on those signatures. So now we don't have to worry about it. If I send a notary out, I don't know if they're insured or not, but I do know that this the DocuSign has multi-million dollar policies. It's on them if there's a problem, right? right. So I think right. with, the, with the notary, it's the same thing. It's been a few times I brought it up, it's been difficult to get the escrow or the lender. They all object, but if you research it, you'll find out it's legal. And to me, that's a great value add to bring to your partners on how they can be more efficient and more effective. It, it is, and I'll tell you this about my own industry is insurance companies are technology, when it comes to technology, they are the last in line. I mean, we were trying, we were doing e-sign before they, we would, they, they said, what the heck is that? You know, why is that signature the same, you know, print on the page? You know, this is when we were still mailing applications in and it's like, it's okay. It's, it, it's, it's, it's totally kosher. They just didn't get it. And, and now of course you can text a client an application and they can literally tap, you know, how it works, adopt this signature, you know, and, and it's done. We have programs on our website now people can literally quote and buy on the spot and we don't even know about it, you know, and then, of course, the carriers laugh at us. We reach out to them after to want to review the policy to be sure they got what they thought they got. Right. But, uh, you know, there's that certain clientele that just wants to do everything on their own at three in the morning, you know, and uh, we'll still reach out to them and be sure that we, you know, they know what it is that they did get, you know, and that that is what they thought they were getting and and that they're 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 clear with it. And they know that we're available in case something comes up that sounds like a problem. Right, right. Well, look, again, Carl, I appreciate both the technical details on vacant properties in particular, inherited properties, but I think more than that, just your perspective on business is always inspiring to me. And I appreciate the business you've built and uh, uh, the challenge you created of what, as a professional, to raise my standards in order to do the same thing. So on behalf of everybody in our call today, thank you so much. Um, thank one, you. One last question here. Okay, let's squeeze this one in. I love the question. So as a trustee of a trust, is there a special challenge to changing a current name on the policy? Meaning uh, there's somebody who had a property they owned in a trust. Really what that means is there, there's now a successor trustee. What's involved in the keeping the insurance current when this is an awesome question. This is an awesome yeah. question. This is the money. The whole. This is the. I should have asked this question when we started. This is the money question. Yeah, the, you know, and this this is one of those things that can be the biggest pain or a zero sum, no problem, no brain, no brainer. Some carriers will simply say, "Show me the page that shows successor trustee." Right? They'll pull title. They'll say, "Oh, it's owned by ABC Trust." Show me the document that says that this is the trustee done. Some carriers will say, well, the policy was written in the name of, you know, John Smith, but now it's owned by a trust and here's the trustee, so we need to rewrite the policy. Either way, it's it's not a big deal. What happens, as you can probably imagine, this is the trend, 
nobody will tell us, right? They'll just say, oh, it's my dad's house, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, when the inspector goes out and looks or the insurance company pulls title, it's in the name of a corporation, right? Again, it's just transparency because none of this is complicated. It's not right. as if an insurance right. company has never seen a home owned by a trust. They Correct. wouldn't know what to do. If you're having problems with that, it's probably because they just didn't know, right? right. Or they were given incorrect information at some point. Right. Great question, because it always frustrates me when I run into that, because if I had more, I'd be pulling on it. That if you just told us, we'd have done it and it would have been done, no problem. But now we have to backpedal, right? And and care. And I'll tell you something about insurance companies. They don't like surprises. They'll do a lot more if they know about it up front than they're willing to change and bend after they've been fooled or they've been given wrong information. Right. And that's probably a great little tip to keep, you know, in the back of your mind. Anytime you're dealing with an insurance carrier is the, 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 the once you have to go back and fix something, they're going to look at it a lot differently than they would have initially. Well, I think that's also a good reason why you should always get a preliminary title report. We need a listing or even a probate. When we file the probate, we get a prelim right away. So we know the chain of title so we can make sure that we have the right information. Now, you're welcome, Anthony. Anthony, great question. You get the question of the day prize, which is uh, invitation to come back next week. So <laughs> again, so Carl, we're wrapping up. Thank you for your time so much. Thanks for your friendship and your business support and your time today helping everybody. Really appreciate it. It's it's my pleasure. And if anyone reaches out to you with questions and, you know, feel free to, you know, ping me anytime. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everyone's time, you know, coming here to actually learn. It's in, It's inspiring that people actually want to learn so they can do their job better. That's the goal. That is the goal. Thank you. Thank you so much. And the rest of you, we do this, this probate weekly. We do it every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. We live stream it on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, next week is the Jewish holiday, actually the next two weeks, the Jewish holiday of Passover. So we're not going to do live Zoom calls. We are going to send out a best of, and I'm going to do a little uh, um, uh, promo that so they'll go out on the YouTube, but uh, and we'll stream down on Facebook as well as LinkedIn if you want to keep learning. But we're not going to do a live Zoom call for the next two weeks. I'll come back in three weeks. So, anyhow, hope you guys have a great uh, week. If I can help any way, reach out. I'm at Bill Gross EXP in social media. And as always, make today your best day ever. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks, Carl.
Hey, it's Bill Gross. I hope you like this video. If you want to join us live every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern, register at probateweekly.com, www.probateweekly.com. And if you like this content, hit the like button and subscribe and hit notifications, and you get notified as soon as we upload every time. Thanks.